it can seem dauntingly difficult for a young poet to gain a name and to get published by a respected press or magazine. But that's exactly what Will Harris has achieved with his 2017 pamphlet All This Is Implied, a collection that explores the complexities of being a person of mixed Anglo-Indonesian heritage. In this conversation with Susanna V. Evans, recorded at the Stanza Poetry Festival, Will shares some advice for up-and-coming writers, born of his own experience as an editor and now established author. This podcast is brought to you by the Department of English Studies at Durham University. I first met Will at Stanza several years ago, I think we were saying six years ago. Six years, yeah. And since then I've been keeping an eye on your work a little bit, and so I'm, I'm very happy that you've published your pamphlet. And sort of thinking about your pamphlet, I was just wondering what the experience of publishing the pamphlet was like, whether you had a big body of work to choose from, or whether you were kind of writing as you were going, what the editing process was like. Um, you, you worked with Helena Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. yeah, Helena Nelson is the editor at Happenstance, yeah. and she's a really brilliant woman. And I guess I did send her quite a lot of poems, and she had quite <laughs> a large shaping force. I was think of it almost as a collaborative mm. process, mm. except she refused to let me acknowledge her. <laughs> um, so it looks like it was just all me. But basically, yeah, she had a huge um, influence in shaping it. Yeah. So I did a master's in St Andrews, yeah. and then for a couple of years I didn't write very much. Mm. Um, and then I decided to send some poems to her. Mm. She asked to see more, and I sent her a big yeah. batch. And then. Yeah. But at that point, I really wasn't very confident in my work, so it really mm. helped having her. She's a very strong editor, yeah. shape it yeah. into something. So it is very much shaped by her. Yeah, yeah. And and you mentioned your masters, um, which you did here at St Andrews, and I was wondering how that impacted or might have impacted on your writing. Whether you felt a sense of development within that year, or did you keep anything that you wrote in that year? I haven't ended up keeping anything I wrote <laughs> from that year, or even any of the... I mean, I I started writing when I was a teenager, but I, I think most of the stuff in my pamphlet was from the two or three years prior to it mm, being, being mm, published. Mm. So it, it, it's weird to think in terms of development, because that implies that I would kind of have kept all of that stuff, and I was mm. working towards a clear point, when it doesn't often feel like that. Mm. Like when I, was, I mean, most of the stuff I wrote at St Andrews wasn't good, but I mean... That's part of, part the, of process, the learning yeah. process. You yeah. write lots of crap and then you throw it <laughs> <Yeah>, away. <better. laughs> but it was good. Uh, yeah, I think master's courses, they work well for different... I mean, they work in different ways for different people. Mm. Some people do create stuff that they stick with and they develop. Um, in my case, it cut away what I thought I was working on or what I thought of as poetry, and that was a good process for me. And, and just kind of considering different shaping forces on your writing. So you're an assistant editor at the Rialto now, which has brilliant covers. I love their covers. Oh. <laughs> um, I have no control over <laughs> But I was, I was kind of wondering if, if working as an editor has changed the way you react to your poems or whether, you know, you sort of read or, or write with an editor's eye. Yeah, I worried about that beforehand, but it's really, it, it's kind of had the opposite effect to the whole editor's eye thing. I think workshops make me did make me more self-conscious when I had to do that every week during my master's. But being an editor, I, you're just exposed to so much work and it makes you very excited. And also, mm. you read so much work where you feel like the poets are kind of playing it safe, they're not pushing themselves enough, or they have an idea of what a good poem should be, and they're working towards that mm. that like median. Yeah. When it, So it's made me want to kind of 
push the boat out more. Because mm. the poetry that really sticks out in the submissions part is the stuff that's different, that's mm. kind of unique and strange and a bit weird. Would you say that's sort of what you look for? You know, if you if you had to sort of imagine the perfect poem coming mm. into your editor's inbox, one that would get you really excited, Just, what, what would you be looking for? Something that's different, that feels unique. It, it's, it, it's always, it's, um, it's, it's a different thing every time. But it's something that feels like it could only exist in that way, in that mm. form, mm. which makes it sound impossible. But mm. it does happen. And yeah, that's the best thing about blind submissions, just coming across poets you, you yeah. know, just never heard of, or poets who are just submitting for the first time, but have this amazing thing to yeah. say and this amazing way of saying it. Mm. And and in terms of poetry magazines, which are your favourites? <laughs> which are my favourites? <laughs> yeah. I, I think poet, the Poetry Review has been really brilliant the last few issues. Yeah. Emily Berry has done an amazing job. Um, it looks really beautiful. It, yeah, they've been publishing incredible work. Yeah. Poetry London has been very good recently. Yeah. Their most recent issue is really, it's really astonishing work. Um, US Poetry is very good. I mean, these are all the big ones. But yeah, they're all the ones I recommend yeah. keeping up with. Yeah. And do you see them as an important tool for writers in terms of the writing process, having somewhere to, you know, place your work and to maybe receive feedback and try things out? Do you, do you see that as, as helpful? I think it's important to be aware of what your peers are working on. Mm. And well, what's exciting about poetry at the moment is there's such a diversity of different voices so it's not I, I it's not like a homogenous mass. It's not just like there's a way of writing that'll get you published in these magazines. You just you can but you can maybe find voices yeah. that give you a sense of where you'd fit in or what you'd or what you'd like to aim for. So on the blurb of your pamphlet, that's one of the things it says is that your poems pursue, among other things, the complexities of a mixed inheritance, and you explore this through through poems such as self-portrait in front of a small mirror and and poems like identity and I was just wondering if you could talk to me a bit about that and how how those ideas kind of play out in your your poems so I have a particularly mixed background in that my dad is English or Anglo-Dutch and my mum is Indonesian Chinese so that's something which I was always confused about when I was a kid I don't really know what it meant to be half Indonesian which I've kind of try to find a way to talk about in, in poetry. But I guess everyone has a mixed uh, inheritance in some way, I guess, mm. and I think that's why it's phrased that way in the, the blurb. And poetry is itself a like mixed form of communication, or at least that's how I've always thought of it. And that's what's exciting. You can explore these conflicting truths at the same time. To go, to go back to sort of contemporary poetry, how, how would you characterise the poetry that's being written sort of right now? Because I think people, people often talk about contemporary poetry as a thing, but then there are, you know, there, there's a sense that contemporary poetry in the UK is different to contemporary poetry in the US. No, I think, that, I think there's a lot of continuity, actually. I mean, I'm really excited about what's happening in, US, in the US. Mm. And there are some amazing poets there. Ross Gay, Dennis Smith, Brenda Shaughnessy. I mean, those are some of my favourite poets at the moment. Mm. Um, but I can, I mean, I can see their influences in British British poetry. Mm. Um, two of my favourite young British poets, Mumtaza, Mary, Victoria, I believe, they've both been published in the US. They have well, they as part of the chapbook series run by Kwame Dawes, New African Poets, mm. who've been at the forefront of exploring what it means to have, you know, to be black, brown, disabled, queer. Mm. 
and their work is an amazing, uh, a great bridge between mm. UK and US traditions. I guess so. The US scene, it, it feels like it's always been, it's always been more inherently political, maybe because it's always had to. The idea of U.S. poetry was always a political thing because it had to define itself in opposition to British poetry. Whereas the idea of British poetry has always been slightly traditional, reactionary, because it's always been about tradition and conserving. And a lot of U.K. poetry for a long time hasn't really taken those same risks. But increasingly, I think a lot of poets are because I guess the internet has broken down a lot of the the barriers. When I was coming up, a lot of the poets I, I was reading, I guess it was more based around you know, physical communities, mm. whereas now you can, mm. there's more interchange. And and just, just one last question before maybe if you read some of your own poems, but I was, I was just wondering um, if you if you have anything that you're working on at the moment or, or what you're writing or thinking about at the moment. Um, I'm trying to finish a, um, a collection of manuscripts. I'm working on a couple of poems, I guess, that are going to be the hopefully the final pieces of it. Uh, I've been working on a series of, I guess, they're poems in which, of like random encounters. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to introduce more randomness into it. <laughs> so, ideally, where people just kind of mm. come into it, slightly influenced by the more radical spirit of Wordsworth's mm. early early stuff, where you know he'll just randomly come across someone and, and he'll incorporate it into the body of the poem in this kind of unexpected and strange way and often he'll have these these assumptions about what he's going to see and they'll be challenged by these interactions and th- those are the kind of poems which I've been trying to write which feel kind of open-ended. In terms of the, the poems so I was hoping you might be able to start by reading um, Self-Portrait in, a, in, in Front of a Small Mirror which is one of the ones that we've talked about and this is one it's, it's a prose poem um, I like the fact that it's quite square um, it, it to me it seems to be re- reflecting the shape of the mirror kind of in in its form. Self-portrait in front of a small mirror. I pay close attention to the shape of my eyes, how my eyelids slope down towards the ridge of my nose. That fold of skin which I will learn is the epicanthic fold, no more an indicator of race than my stubby little fingers or the mould at the centre of my chest, just different. I am making a self-portrait in front of a small mirror, propped up on my pencil case. How can I know that when I put aside the mirror, as I must, to encounter the world with and through those eyes, there will be questions. Where are you from? Are you Korean? Speak Chinese? At seventeen, at borders, I will say my books are for an English degree, and the man behind the counter will grin, call me a bright boy, and though it may be nothing, as he says it, I see myself reflected in the glossy wall display behind him. I will feel accused. When I open my mouth in shops, though my voice shrinks into a weird RP, I will accept the illusion of the colonial elite, other in blood and colour, but English in taste. The illusion will remain intact long after I am presumed foreign, after a stranger tells me to fuck off back home, after a barman standing in front of a row of spirits endlessly mirrored, asks for my ID, refuses to accept my name as my own. Will Harris? My nasal bridge, which, being lower-rooted, draws a fold of skin over the corners of my eyes, marks me out, as it does these words, for special treatment. But I must, and will, put aside the mirror. 
Thank you. The, the last image of the mirror actually, rem it reminds me of a, a painting, I actually can't remember the name or who it's by, but it's, it's in the Courtauld Gallery in London, it's sort of a, an Impressionist painting, and it's of a barmaid standing in mm. front of a mirror, and it's, it's quite confusing because you're not sure where you're placed at the beginning, whether you're seeing a reflection or the... Um, Just the Manet painting. The yes, I think it Foley, is. Folie Bergère. Yeah, it and is. it's striking because if you, if you imagine a, if it was a photograph or a film, yeah. you would be able to see the artist, but you can't see yeah. the artist maybe yeah. in that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, ne the next poem that I sort of picked out um, is, is called Identity. And I, I, yeah. it's, I mean, is it, it, would you call it a sonnet? Yeah, I guess it's uh, an unrhymed, unmetrical sonnet. I, I wrote this one, I think, in response to some early criticism I got of my poems, mm -hmm. of my poems phrase they used was like, like kind of fine silk prints or something basically quite oriental that they did that I didn't have that they needed to be more physical they didn't have enough body in them enough of a bodily presence which is like a very old oriental stereotype okay. and yeah I don't really know how to respond to that yeah well actually the way I responded to it was but I decided to just double down on that yeah. which I would recommend whatever anyone criticizes you about just to double down on that criticism because mm. that's probably what makes your writing interesting or distinct. Mm. Mm. Identity. With all this book learning, it's easy to lose track of the body. But as I thumb through a cultural history of the senses, I feel the full weight of transcendence. Back when mum first came to London, she waitressed at a Thai restaurant in Gantz Hill. She says the prawn toast would always slip off the plate as she made to set it down. And one day, she spilt a whole plate on that guy who hosted Restoration. Over three decades later, Chinese Indonesians are still keeping their heads low. Neither China nor Indonesia is home. And here, as ever, the self must be embodied. Or like those oily sesame seeds on Griff Reese jones embedded. Great, thank you. And then the last poem uh, I thought you could read is called With Cornflowers. And I chose this one because I, I like the imagery. I like the, I like anything that references colour. Um, and also the word the word twists. I mean, this is, again, it's, it's funny kind of what your own personal associations throw up. But to me, twists, it reminds me of Pippa Little, who's written a book on twists. It reminds me of um, Eliot, T.S. Eliot, with the woman twisting lilies between her fingers. The word, the word twist is just very evocative. For me and and yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I have no idea where that image came from. It's mm. funny. You don't, I mean, maybe it was from reading that stuff and forgetting about it and then <laughs> just stealing it in my sleep. Mm. It was actually based on some photographs by a, a Russian turn of the century photographer mm. that were some of the earliest color photos, and it was one in particular which was of a field. And most of them were of people, but I thought this field picture was kind of amazing because it looked like it could have just been posted on Instagram the other day. Mm. Um, it was a fit of a field with cornflowers, and cornflowers in Russia have the same connotations that poppies do over here. With cornflowers. A girl twists a stalk of rye about her wrist like a bracelet. She sees her father at the plough and wants to pick a cornflower, its dark blue, almost purple colour threaded through with grief among the weeds. She wants to go and pin one to his chest. And all this is implied, though the photograph itself 
shows just a field of rye with cornflowers. Thank you, and thank you very much for taking the time to be interviewed. It's a pleasure. Thank you. For... We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to comment on the podcast you have just listened to, or if you want to download more of our podcasts, visit our blog at www.readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com. 